Check, check. Well, it's yeah. coming from... Check one, two. Well, we'll do that. Check one, two, check, check. All righty. Well, sorry about the uh, technicalities there. We certainly want to keep recording these, uh, so we want to keep a record of our courses here. So, try to do everything possible to keep it up, to keep it. Uh, like that. So let's go ahead and pray and get it right into the lesson today. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your love, and for your mercy. Father God, we come humbly before your presence today, asking you, Lord God, to illuminate our hearts and our minds today, to give us guidance through your Holy Spirit, to understand this different, these concepts, Lord, that we're going to talk about today. Help us, Lord God, uh, through your word to see how um, preaching and prayer, Lord God, are, es are essential for the unity of the body, are essential, Lord, for living as a church, and, uh, and how to continue to be uh, growing Christ through this. Um, so help us once again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's get right to it. It's good to be back. And so today we're going through our fourth lesson, which is uh, preaching and prayer. And uh, according to our syllabus, uh, as we remember, this is the, uh, our, um, the, we're grabbing the course seminaries from Capitol Hill Baptist Church with their permission and making our own adjustments. And so we are on the fourth lesson today, and that's preaching and prayer. We've been through unity, membership, diversity, and now we are uh, going through preaching and prayer. Now, uh, remember that we, have, that we have recorded every single lesson so far, so... Uh, we intend to make this material available to all church members somehow, but if you do need to view one of those, please let me know and I'll point you to the right direction. You can email me or text me or whatever, and I can point you to the right place for you to see the previous lessons. Um, once again, just to remind you about the, ma the materials, the Bible, the notebook and pen for extensive notes, and I say that because the handouts provide some space there, so... Um, unless you want to take some extended notes, you can bring your own, and the handouts are already provided, and that enthusiasm that we all need, amen. So, let's go ahead and uh, do preaching and prayer today. So, as living as a church, um, the fourth thing that we're going to be looking at is considering preaching and prayer as an essential part of the unity of the body. And so, uh, let me open out with this question. So, what, what would be examples of the supernatural at work in the local church? And so why is it important that ministry be characterized by what is supernatural? So again, what are examples of supernatural at work in the local church? Do you guys remember one of those things that we've talked about from the previous weeks? 
it may not be previous, but it's still relevant, and that is God has given gifts to his church, and that is um, in, in, in local church context, pastor teachers. Yes. To preach the word, to teach the word, and God has commanded us to renew our minds, and that is done by the intake of the word of God, and Amen. the way we're sanctified is uh, Christ says, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Yes. So these all go together. Amen. And in a nutshell, you basically did uh, some of what I'm going to be talking about today, which is that same pattern of the supernatural. And so one of those was actually the preaching of the word. Yes. Was it copyrighted? <laughs> right. No, you're not in trouble. You're good. <laughs> so Mike said for those listening online that uh, the, the preaching of the word, the gifts that, uh, that God gives uh, to the church for preaching and teaching, are, those are the supernatural means that we see at work in the church and that is true and we'll, we'll see that today but some of the previous ones that we have talked about is uh, especially if we remember the one on unity we remember that uh, how come people who come from all different backgrounds from all different places from all different personalities are able to function together and to go the extra mile uh, to put a, a inaccurate uh, you know situation for one another and that's one of those supernatural things that happen when we are together as a church right so we've used that word a fair bit so far in this class, the supernatural. And so the life of our church should be evidently supernatural. And that is when people look into our own, look on, look in on our church, and they should see in depth, the depth and the breadth, remember those uh, terms that we've used, right, of our, of our relationships. And so that is something that goes, that is beyond what they can explain through purely naturalistic means. But of course, we can't simply decide to have supernatural ministry. By definition, the supernatural is beyond our control. That is why it's, it is supernatural, right? So now, sometimes God decides to act, like when He created this world. No one asked Him to do it, and certainly no one told Him to do it, right? He just did it. And if the local church were like that, I suppose we could stop this whole class right here, because all we could do is sit back and hope that God does something amazing in our church, right? But f fortunately, that's not what the Bible tells us. God's, re God's revealed His normal means for doing the supernatural. And that's right, in the church, the supernatural is normal, or should be a normal pattern. It happens all the time, right? And it normally happens through God's normal means of grace. And in particular, this evening, we want to talk about the means of prayer and preaching, and, and somewhat what uh, Mike was starting to talk about there. And so, um, the next slide uh, talks about the preaching is one um, normal means of supernatural grace. So, think of, of Romans ten seventeen. So, faith comes by hearing, and, and hearing by the Word of God, the Word of Christ. And this message is heard through the Word of Christ. So, the supernatural love comes from supernatural faith. And so, it is very cool to see when, when we have nothing in common but with, but with, that we have nothing in common with each other, but through Christ, and because Christ tells us to do so, we're able to be with one another, and we're able to trust Him through it, and that's faith. But we can't just conjure up some faith by ourselves. After all, as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, faith is a... Yeah. gift, right, of God. And so how does faith happen then? 
And that happens, as we saw through Romans 10, 17, it happens through God's Word, right? So then, as I mentioned, the other means of grace, we want to look at this prayer. Look at what Jesus told us in, tells us in John 14, 13 through 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So another way that we can see God do supernatural work in our churches is to ask Him for it, right? So that is the other means. But for the rest of our time this evening, I want to look at each of these in turn. How can we be part of community in this church with supernatural unity? Primarily, as we hear God's Word and as we pray. So again, the question, how can we be part of community in this church with supernatural ministry? And that is primarily as we hear God's Word and as we pray. So let's hear, let's start with preaching. So what is, so, you know, why is preaching such an important aspect of that? So, preaching matters, point A. The fact that preaching is God's a means to accomplish the supernatural shouldn't come as a surprise to us. After all, God has always created His people by His Word. God created the world by His power, by the power of His Word. He created all people, the people of Israel by the Word of His law on Mount Sinai, or consider God's prophecy in Ezekiel's vision of a valley of a dry bones, right? And so we read portions of that in Ezekiel 37, 7 through 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I was, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I prophesied as He commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army, right? So imagine a man speaking dead bones to life, right? So God's word, spoken by Ezekiel, is what brings his people to life, which is exactly what we see in the New Testament. Jesus, God's word made flesh, taught God's people. And it's Peter's preaching in the Gospel of Acts 2 that first ignites the church and the apostles' faithful teaching that sustains it. So we see this important point, that God's word is central to the identity of his people. Christianity is not primarily about spiritual experience or about warm community or about acts of service, though it certainly involves all those things. But it is first and foremost a message that can be supported based on a historical fact, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And as in he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, etc., as First Corinthians 15, 4 and 5 says. And this is the good news, the gospel. And preaching that message, the message of the gospel, is the source of our life as a church. Amen? Amen. And sorry I'm speeding up here, but I know we're late. Uh, otherwise I would ask people to do a scripture reading, but I'm, hopefully let's go faithfully, but steadily through it. Um. And so I want to talk about also especially the type of preaching that we believe is important to continue to receive God's Word in a holistic way. And that is the expositional preaching. And of course, we, we can have preaching and see nothing supernatural as a result. Not all preaching is faithful. And not all people who are listening are faithful listeners. I mean, just think about all those people who listen to Jesus Himself and then they went away unchanged. 
So I first want to talk about what kind of preaching we're looking for, and then what happens when that preaching intersects with the community of God's people. So what kind of preaching will supernaturally create God's people out of nothing? In a word, a preaching that is expositional. And that is, that exposes a passage of Scripture to us. When we say that a sermon is expositional or expository, we mean that it is designed to explain a particular passage of Scripture so that the main point of the sermon is actually the main point of the passage. And so they describe it both ways, that make sure that the main point of your sermon is the point that the passage is portraying, right? So expositional preaching takes whole books of the Bible or large portions of it or even sections or passages of a book of the Bible, but it always attempts to be faithful to the context of the passage as a whole and keep the main point as the main point. And so that's, in a nutshell, what expositional preaching is for those who have not heard of this type of preaching, making the point of the passage the point of your sermon. And so the alternative is what people call, another alternative, the topical preaching, where the preacher determines the primary point he wants to communicate in the sermon and may or may not use a main passage of Scripture to support that point. So topics could be prayer or justice or holiness or creation or money, etc., etc., right? So, now let me say up front that topical preaching is not, not, not all the way bad, right? At, at, here at, at CCMB, we've had some topical sermons from time to time, and if you think about it, SOHOB, what we're doing right now is actually topical lessons, right? Including this one here. But a preaching schedule that's predominantly expositional would grow a congregation better and with more lasting results. And why is that? It is because as a preacher preaches expositionally, Moving through successive passages of Scripture week after week, the, con the congregation better understands Scripture and its overall context, right? And at, at, at Cornerstone, we've gone through Old Testament books, New Testament books, John, Matthew, um, Hebrews, um, even uh, we got through Nehemiah uh, and um, Jonah as well. And so we've gotten through them right now we're going through. <laughs> I just started there for a second. <laughs> We're going through First John. And so um, the expositional preaching, if you see a lot that people are going through books of the Bible for their preaching, that will be most likely, yes, expositional preaching. Now, if, you, if, if at your previous church or another church, you most likely um, had a topic um, that grabbed different verses from different passages, etc., that will be a topical preaching. And again, it is a... One that one has to be very careful about because you could do asegesis instead of exegesis. You could put your own intentions into the topic and then find verses that would prove your point. And that is one of the dangers there. And so as we do expositional preaching, we actually look to see what the context says about what God's Word is saying. And so it's actually interesting because I've heard preachers who preach faithfully, expositionally, how God supernaturally brings the topics that the church needs to hear through the different books that they're going through. And I've heard even a story about, <laughs> you know, expositional preaching is, is somewhat expected, right? You could probably read the next verses next week and have an idea of what is going to be preached, which is great. 
because you come with a, a full sense of what's being preached. And I heard a story saying that this preacher was going to preach a message that had to do very much with a very upsetting situation by some members of the church that if they heard it preached, they might leave. And everybody knew that because they knew what verses were coming next to next week, right? And so they said, ah, Pastor, are you sure you want to preach on that specific thing next week? Because it pertains very specifically to this church members. And he was like, of course, that's what I'm going to be doing because we are preaching expositionally and we're exploring whatever God's word is telling us and asking us to do. And this is what we're going to do. And that is the great thing about expositional sermons. We are not... Afraid that, oh, may we touch money, or we're not touching marriage that much, or... Well, no, if we preach faithfully God's Word, we will get to those points. And that is a beautiful thing of the longevity aspect of walking through a church together, that we can together go through every different um, aspect of whatever God's Word is bringing for us. So, anyway, that's, that's, that's um, um, some of the things that I, that I experienced there as well with the exposition of preaching, but... Let me elaborate a little bit more on giving three specific advantages of expositional preaching. So first, when a pastor preaches through a, a series of passages, basing each sermon on the main point of the passage of Scripture rather than on a topic, as we said, God's Word sets the agenda of the sermon. Amen. So very practically, expositional preaching forces a preacher to address verses that he may be uncomfortable even uh, with or don't fit clearly to his you know, theology or personal point of view about things, but he submits himself to the Word of God. So by its very nature, and secondly, by its very nature, a topical sermon rarely results in the preacher saying anything more than what he already knew when he sat down to write the sermon. So when a pastor preaches a passage of Scripture in context, however, taking the point of the passage as the point of the message, he and the congregation often hear from God things that they did not know when the pastor began to study the passage. And so it's about exploring the whole counsel of God. And I think we did experience a little bit of that with the book of Nehemiah, <laughs> where we were going through portions of Scripture that we thought, well, let's see what the Lord has here for us, because it, it looks like a 50-verse uh, length, uh, you know, list of names, etc. And, you know, and, and how can we learn from those things? And, and this takes me to the third point, actually. Expositional preaching teaches a congregation how to study and read the Bible for themselves. So you've heard the saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day and teach him how to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime, right? So it, it goes the same here. When you use the sermon week after week to teach the congregation to be faithful explainers and appliers of God's word, the Bible will sit seep into every aspect of their life together. And so, and another thing that we do here as well is we were starting to read whole books of the Bible as part of the reading of the church. And we were getting through Ezra together, right? If you remember as well, along with Nehemiah. And so we are also teaching each other that we must go through the whole counsel of God, right? And so those are the principles that expositional preaching bring for us as a congregation. <coughs> and the third thing uh, about expositional preaching here is that um, is, is God's Word plus, plus God's people. So if we just stop there, right, we still haven't traced out all that preaching does in a church. Because preaching isn't just exposition of God's Word. It is God's Word plus God's people. Now, we know that God is glorified when His Word is preached and no one responds. But God is even more glorified when the Word is preached and we are changed. 
So what happens when God's word intersects with God's people? Well, there are three important things here. The first one is application. So most obviously, we apply God's word. Consider the weight of responsibility that rests on our shoulders. We who are privileged to hear gospel-centered preaching week after week, right? So Rusty, for example, he might have discharged his responsibility by preaching the whole counsel of God. But have we discharged our responsibility by working with equal diligence to apply it? I pray that on the last day, we in this church will see the fruit of such preaching in our lives, amen? And not regret the relative poverty of our lives compared to the riches of the meal that we were fed each week. So there are sometimes, sometimes things that we can do better to apply the sermons. We can read through the passage in our quiet times during the week. And as we see, we, uh, we are trying to get ahead of time here and then WhatsApp some of those scriptures that we're going through Sunday ahead of time as well. Maybe even sketching out a rough sermon outline yourself so that you can think through how you would explain the passage if you were to preach the passage, to yourself at least. We can pray for the preacher and for our application. We can take notes. We can get a good night's sleep on Saturday and not scan through email during the sermon. I mean, many, many things like that that we can do to better receive the meal on Sunday. But even beyond those things, we should think about sermon application as a corporate endeavor instead of an individual one. So a good question to consider is, are you working in a faithful, humble way to help apply the truth you receive to the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are they better shaped by God's word because they live in a church community with you? Do they know your life well enough? And do you know theirs? That you can help them apply a sermon in ways that they may not have thought of. A few ideas on how we might do this is, one of them is you can talk after the service over lunch about the sermon, or you can talk with your own family. I know uh, many, many of us try to do that after the sermon, not to criticize on how badly it was delivered or anything like that, right? But the content of the sermon, right? Not, not to do a, critic, a, a criticism lesson, no, but talk about what the Word of God is, was teaching us after Sunday morning and discuss it, right? We can do another thing we can do is also... Um, flesh out the application points. And so when Rusty gives out some application points on how to live out whatever is being uh, exposed, we can talk about it in, in smaller groups or in, at, our, at your home when you are inviting somebody else, another member of the church, in discipling uh, relationships and family devotionals. Rather than trying to remember pages of notes from each sermon, another thing you can do is pick one or two things each week that you will prayerfully apply to your life and talk to others about it, right? So, and with others about it. And God gives us each feast each week. So let's put that to work, right? And so that's another, to the last point, is something important too. You can grasp one or two important things and just reflect upon them each week. Now, the second thing that we want to think about here in regards to preaching is contextual, contextualization. If that's... No, no thanks. <laughs> Contextualization, if that's how you say it. But that's not the only thing that happens when preaching um, happens in the context of the community. Second thing is that the Word of God is applied to the particular needs of our congregation. So to our shortcomings, to the way that God has been moving among us. 
So with our particular demographics in mind, so a lot of the preparation that Rusty would have in mind, for example, is how does that apply to the context of Corniston Church as well? So that contextualization, right? So, and so that's why listening to, like, say, online sermons in many occasions while greatly edifying, sometimes it's not the very same, it doesn't have the very same effect as a sermon that is preached in this congregation and with this congregation in mind. And the third thing would be authority. So preaching in a church should explain and interpret and apply scripture. <clears throat> so in one sense, its authority rests on scripture. But we know that as sinful humans, we can err in explaining and interpreting and applying inerrant scripture. And preaching goes beyond that. You see, preaching in a church is backed by the unity, by the united testimony of an entire community of Christians, each with their own sins but each indwelt by God's life-giving Spirit. So when the church works as it should, then the words of Rusty or Chris or whoever is preaching on Sunday morning are tactically confirmed by the elders and ultimately by the congregation at large. And so if, if Rusty or, or Chris or whoever is preaching began preaching that this congregation understand, what, what, what this congregation understands to be contrary to Scripture, then as members, we have a duty to act. That is why Paul says to the Galatians, make sure that the message is being preached to you is the true gospel. So the congregation is the, in, in the final authority in that sense to such doctrinal matters. And thus we can have extra confidence in the truth of what we hear preached in a, in a healthy church because it is backed by the testimony of a community of Christians. So as anyone who works with large organizations knows quite well, pushing authority down to the most local level makes the organization quite difficult to change. That may not be a good idea for a large corporation that needs to reinvent itself on a regular basis, but for a community entrusted with the perfect truth of the gospel that will, ne that will never change, it is ideal. The more you know the community of a church, the more that you can trust its preaching. What's that? We're on authority, right? Oh, yes. I got it online. And there we go. Perfect. So the more... So again, the more that you know the congregation of a church, the more that you can trust its preaching. And good preaching will fuel a good community. Again, good preaching will fuel good community. So we can be part of the supernatural community of the local church through preaching, as we listen to good preaching, apply that preaching to ourselves and others and support good preaching. But it also happens through prayer, which is where we turn next. And while you're looking at the clock right now, I'm probably wondering, well, we've covered the entire topic of prayer with the time we got left, but rest assured, that's not my goal here. Uh, instead, we're going to think about more narrowly and more specifically about praying and as and for the local church, just the, that context. Um, I think that we all understand that prayer is important, but when we think about prayer, the first thing that comes to mind, at least for me, is private prayer. But the Bible also clearly calls on Christians to pray together. Think of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, right? 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So when, we, when Jesus gave us a model for prayer, he put in it a form that commends it even more for our use together as a body than for private use. So in one of the primary ways that we pray as a church is when we gather as a church. So, so let me start with why this time of prayer is so important. My hope is that with this knowledge, you'll be able to pray better as we pray to God together. And so why is corporate prayer important? God uses, first of all, first point, God uses a prayer together to advance His kingdom. So we pray together because, quite simply, we need to, right? We pray out, we pray out, out of need because we need God to act, right? We, just like we see in the book of Acts, there the early church had a number of obstacles to overcome, including persecution, yet it continued to expand. Several times we see that when the early church faced persecution, it gathered together to pray, right, as a response. So in Acts 4, we read that Peter and John were released from jail and the church gathered to hear their report. You would think that with their leaders in prison, people would just pray on their own rather than risking coming together, but corporate prayer was important enough that the believers gathered together to pray together praising God for His sovereignty and asking for boldness in the face of the threats. And then Luke tells us this in Acts 4.31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. And the result was the gospel spread even more. So, and this is not limited to the particular circumstances of the early church, right? Throughout history, we've seen God's work to be specially active when His people have been faithfully praying together. And so the second thing about corporate prayer is that God is glorified through the unity in our prayer. And as we have heard in the past classes, unity among God's people glorifies God, right? So that is why in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul calls, us to, calls on the entire church to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Praying together is one way that we satisfy this command by visibly uniting together as God's people to pray. So the unity that we demonstrate when we seek God together in prayer is particularly striking. Two things to note in particular. First, prayer together is a means of God's grace in which we grow spiritually as we hear others come into prayer. And I don't know if you've experienced that, but every time that that happens, corporate prayer uh, is happening, it's, it's being um, encouraged. It's, you know, even you go to somebody, somebody's house and at the end of their hangout, they said, let's just pray. I mean, every time that kind of thing happens, it kind of encourages me to like pick up prayer when I've left it off. You know? And so it's, it's a means in which we can encourage each other to even pray more individually. And corporate prayer also can serve as a powerful witness to non-Christians who see the love and commitment that Christians have for one another in their prayers. And the third thing 
about corporate prayer is that corporate prayer unites us. Not only does corporate prayer benefit from our unity, it actually helps us to create that unity. When we pray together, we are in some ways leaving behind our selfish desires and focusing on God and others. So, for example, on Sunday mornings, before service, we pray for each other in various ways. We thank God for His grace in people's lives. We pray for others' physical health. We, we pray for their spiritual well-being. We pray for their ministries, etc. Both praying for others and hearing others pray for us naturally draws us closer as we learn more as we learn more about each other and as we feel the effect of those prayers in the work uh, done by the Holy Spirit. So it would be nice to think of Sunday morning prayer as our family time, right? As our time of coming together and coming to God for one another. And a primary reason for this description is that we have time of united prayer together. So I make a parenthesis here uh, to encourage each one of us to actually come to our Sunday morning prayer times and uh, that uh, we intend that to happen from 10 a.m. to 10, 15, 20-ish a.m. And uh, Brent and the band have graciously added even an extra time of practice such as tonight to, uh, to uh, enhance the time of prayer to where we can dedicate this time in, on Sunday mornings as a family for prayer. So at Cornerstone we're trying to make ways in which this time would be special and would be intentional and would be uh, an organized way in which we can all come together and pray to God. So one idea on how you can support this time. Consider if there are prayer requests or testimonies of God's grace you could share with the congregation that would draw us together and help us as a body to marvel at the power and the mercy of our God. And, and I believe that's already happening. In many occasions we have shared some struggles and prayer requests through the WhatsApp group, say. And then after that we can hear about how God's grace you know, was able to accomplish or grant or even uh, see how we learned through different processes and we report that to each other uh, through the group and so and we also take those and Rusty intentionally goes through those lists and make sure we pray for them on Sunday morning as well and so another important thing to think about is to think of corporate prayer for you as a service to this congregation so for some of us that might feel a bit that might feel a, a bit strange, right? We're fairly private people who think of others praying for us as a burden for them or on them, right? So that's not at all what the Bible views or how the Bible views things. There's actually a great passage in Second Corinthians one where Paul is sharing about a particular dif uh, difficult situation, and I want to read this so that we can see how Paul puts this into practice. So 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, he, he says this to the Corinthians. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not only rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that we will continue to, that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf to the gracious favor granted to us 
in answer to the prayers of many. So look how he puts it there in those groups of verses, right? The last verse is right on point there. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Was it a burden on these believers to pray for Paul? Absolutely not, right? It was a blessing to lift him up and share in the joy of God's continual deliverance of him. So what if Paul had decided that his problems weren't worth bothering the church? We should thank God that he did not. And by honest raise of hands, how many of us have abstained from asking others to pray for our situations? I have. And so think about how you can share your needs with others so that we may be drawn together as believers encouraged by God's amazing work. Are you struggling in your faith? Are you struggling at work? Are you struggling in, ma in marriage? Are you struggling with evangelism? I love that we can come together and share our needs through the app, for example, through the WhatsApp group or other means, personal means, talking about on Sunday mornings as well or on Thursday nights. And we immediately lift one another up in prayer, right? And uh, we reply that we're praying. By the way, social media has made the word praying not, not as what it means, right? It's made it to where praying means I'm thinking about you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so actually some people put prayed past, which seems good, uh, you know. But I, I mean, when, when we put in there praying in the, you know, the, the, the uh, what is it called? The... Uh, <laughs> Are we really? <laughs> the the, the uh, emo, emo, emoji. 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 The little emoji with this. Are we actually praying for the person? I would actually rather hear more, my thoughts are with you, if that's more honest, if you're not going to pray for him right now. <laughs> but if we're putting praying, you know, let's stop and pray. And, and, and that doesn't happen all the time. But it, it has been so bad for me that when somebody asks me to pray, I just have to, you know, tell Abby, okay, let's stop what we're doing and let's just pray for a second. Because that's kind of like the most, you know, way in which we are actually responding to that call to pray for that need. Um, and so if you don't hear me answering with the emoji, that means that I'm probably not <laughs> But I should, right? But I'm thinking about that person instead. But at the same time, how does this encourage us? It encourages us that when somebody is needing to have prayer, we intentionally look at that and draw our prayers to the Lord in however way we can do that right at that moment. And so I think it should be encouraging to us to do that. Uh, and the fourth thing about corporate prayer is that it teaches all of us how to pray, even individually. So many healthy churches have adopted this acts model of corporate prayer. And here at Cornerstone, we kind of implicitly do that in many occasions. And we're trying to do that even more and more during Sunday mornings. And so that, that Acts model is like this. It's adoration, conf confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Though not always in that order, we, we try to touch on that. Uh, why, is this in, why is this corporate model of prayer important to follow? Well, because we pray together in part to teach ourselves how to pray. So let me explain what I mean, right? If it's left to myself, my own prayer life, it's probably 90% petition, a little bit of confession, and very little praise or thanks. But that's not good, right? But when we emphasize this model, it kind of forces us to concentrate our attention equally on, on these parts. So, for example, 
on Sunday mornings, what we try to do is take our, our good time to praise God and to adore God uh, based on, we did it one time based on His attributes back in SDA. Now we're doing it based on uh, the names of God. And so we take a particular time of prayer to reflect on and to thank God and praise God and adore God based on His name. And so we're dedicating a, a time for that, right? Um, and so... Similarly, when we get to confessions, we know that confession is uncomfortable and we quickly shift to ask God to change us. But when we do that for a period of time, we lose the opportunity to explore our hearts and acknowledge what's really there. So having an extended time for us to just to confess our sins makes the assurance of pardon that we read in the Bible and by the songs that we sing even much more joyful, right? So even many of the songs that we sing um, here at CCMB, and uh, we do that acts model in our songs as well. We we sing on songs that are focused on praise, focused on adoration, focused on confession, and focused on thanksgiving. Right, and so many of those are seen even in the as we sing together as a church. So it is a way to respond to these aspects of corporate prayer, and we can learn from the prayer of petition and thanks as well. In the prayer of petition, for example. Rusty will pray, um, you know, for so much more than just our needs. He has, you know, been praying for um, the government, for the persecuted church, for missions or evangelism, etc. And so, and, and of course, for our church. So if we follow carefully as we're led in prayer, I hope that that begins to improve even our own personal prayer life. And just coming to... Uh, uh, close to the end here, praying for our church. Before we end our time to make together, let me give you a few thoughts for how you can pray daily for our church. My hope is that as these things come part of our daily routine, we will uh, see wonderful things happen in our church. Number one, we can pray for the preacher and his sermon. Think of Paul writing to the Ephesians. Pray also for me that wherever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should, he says in Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. If the great apostle Paul needed prayer to speak, certainly our preacher does. Secondly, pray through the members list. Uh, in a way, you can look at the WhatsApp group, for example, and see all the families that are in there. It may, it, it may involve people who you, who you do not know very well, but the good news is that by praying through this list, we get to know them better and faster. And just like Paul prayed for the Roman Christians who he had never met, praying daily for people you don't have a particular connection to just because they're members of our church is wonderfully honoring to God. So we can remember to pray through the things that we that are sent our way or even for the people who are in our church. And thirdly, pray for our culture as a church. Now, our church culture is the habits, the expectations, the behaviors that come to characterize us as a church. Pray that through a number of different things, for example, that we should have real unity in our diversity, that we would make our relationships transparent with each other that we would see the hospitality as an important part of following Christ, all of those things. Now, there is a full list. If you look at your uh, bulletin there is, or at your uh, handout, there is a full list uh, of what to pray for as part of the church or as part of who 
we should be as a church together. It's a great, <coughs> sorry, it's a great thing to break through on our own in addition to the other things that we pray on Sunday morning. So I would encourage you to take that home and just go through that list and we can uh, have it to pray uh, together. So in conclusion, how do we expect the supernatural to be at work in our church? And as we have said before, we celebrate the regular preaching of God's word and we pray. And those are the ways that God naturally does <laughs> those are the ways that God naturally does what is supernatural in his normal means of grace and so in a juxtaposition way his normal means of doing the supernatural in our lives through the church amen amen, amen. any comments or uh, for the end if not we're going to go ahead and pray alright well let's pray Father, we thank you for this time together. And Lord, even though um, you used a failing vessel, Lord, and to deliver this and to, with his broken accent, to try to give it out, we, we know, God, that your word is unfailing. We know that your word, Lord God, is faithful, that is supernatural, that it, it, it does the job that I cannot even attempt to do in people's lives. So, Lord, we ask you just for that, that as we have learned, Lord, that preaching are the means, Lord God, by which you supernaturally change us, supernaturally bring us to yourself, supernaturally bring us to one another in a way that the world cannot even explain. Lord God, help us see this at Cornerstone. That every morning when the sermon is being preached, Lord God, and the Word of God is being delivered, Lord God, through a vessel, that this word would cause in us a change, a repentance, a turning away, an encouragement that would be central, Lord God, to our sanctification and to our lives as, as they are lived among other peoples. That it would ignite our discipleships, our evangelism, and our integrity. And Lord, help us with prayer, Lord, as it is applied today, as we talked about corporately, that we would learn from it and how even to pray uh, individually. Lord, that as we think about adoring you in prayer, as we think about confessing our sins in prayer, as we think about, Lord, thank, thanking you, Lord God, for all the blessings and for supplication for our many needs. Lord God, let this not be a misproportioned uh, type of prayer where we see you only as a fireman that puts out the fire only when the fire is there. Help us see you in this prayer as the giver of life, as the Savior, as our Father, as the one who is worthy to be praised, as the one that, who after responded to prayer, we can come back and say, Lord, thank you for how you responded to this request. And how, even though we may not yet see the end result of whatever is going on through our lives, we still know that all things work for good. So help us also, Lord God, to see prayer as our important aspect of bringing ourselves together in unity. To do what? Just to do the very ultimate purpose, and that is to glorify your name. And in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.
In your name, amen. All right.